Welcome. You're listening to another episode of AML Conversations, where we sit down with some of the brightest minds in the financial industry to explore topical matters around financial crime and compliance. We hope you enjoy this discussion and please be sure to subscribe for more. Hey, Don, how are you doing today? Great. How are you, John? Good. I I know we've sat down and had uh, both previous podcasts and webinars, but this environment was such that I was uh, happy that you reached out because if you hadn't, I would have reached out to you to see if you uh, wanted to spend a few minutes to talk about what has sadly been, at least in in my view, the most misinformation I've seen about the Internal Revenue Service uh, in in quite a while, if not ever. And I wanted to get a a bird's eye view, even though you're obviously no longer chief of IRSCI, but you spent a uh, major part of your career there and still work with a lot of our partners that are still there. So what, what I'd like to do is sort of both set the stage and get your take. As we know, the Inflation Reduction Act was passed. And in um, one of the provisions or several of the provisions, there's $80 billion allocated over 10 years, the Internal Revenue Service, which for many of us in the AML community, we realize that IRS has been underfunded for so, so, so long. And, and obviously that's, that's an area of great need. But in, in response to that 80 billion, we've seen clearly uh, manufactured uh, points made by policymakers, unfortunately, to say there's gonna be with that money, 87,000 armed agents are going to be going after small business and other filers. Uh, talk about that. And um, just you know, the first thing is perhaps talk about the reaction of not just yourself, but your, co- your, your colleagues at the service. And then let's remind people what IRSCI actually does. Yeah, I appreciate it, John, and, and appreciate, appreciate the opportunity to, to speak and really you know, you you summed it up well at the beginning. I mean, it's really sad and really disheartening to hear how politicized this has come. You know, this whole issue has become very dangerous rhetoric that really could have, you know, real life security implications for the IRS. And it, it, unfortunately, we, we live in an age where everybody has an opportunity to speak, right? That, and, and there's, minimal amount of facts that that may be out there and in this case you really have what is it's not a close call this is false information and and it is very dangerous information for an agency that that works hard to to enforce the tax laws collect money so we can have a military and live in this amazing country that we live in so they you take a what should be a very positive right they've been underfunded now for decades and have really been, you know, trying to do yeoman's work with a hand tied behind their back. And now they have this funding and this, you know, this, this misinformation that's out there is taking them away from their, you know, the core mission, what they should be out there doing. Um, you know, and it, it, a little bit of due diligence, right? If you did a little bit of due diligence, if you looked at the article about and heard somebody say 80,000 armed agents, it would take you literally about 30 seconds to dispel that. There have been right. many nonpartisan groups that have, have very quickly dispelled that. And, and I don't wanna make this a political conversation at all right. or single out any individuals, but when citizens see 
and hear their elected representatives striking fear into them about the IRS, they take those words seriously, right? It carries a lot more weight than, you know, some unnamed person making an allegation. When you hear the nation's elected leaders talking about this, unfortunately, you've got some people that will take that, you know, at face value, whether it's backed up or not. So, um, again, you've got statements that have been repeatedly proven to be false. Right. Uh, and again, I'm going to ask you specifically about the CI, but in general, isn't it fair to say that a lot of these these funds are going to be utilized to improve computer systems? Obviously, as you say, you need people to process funds, uh, refunds that everybody wants. Of course, they want their refunds in quick time, but they also want to be able to ask questions and, it, you know, spending money on the infrastructure of IRS will only improve customer service. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's customer service is the main point of the IRS. So you, you, you blow the issue out of proportion by trying to direct it to armed agents. But you're exactly right. Even when I was with the IRS for so many years, I would talk about how great it would be and how proud you would be to have an IRS where somebody could pick up the phone in a reasonable amount of time. And it's not the employee's fault. They take great pride in what they do. They want to be able to answer the phones in a timely manner and, and address the questions. But they haven't had the funding to do that. And you're right. A large part of this $80 billion is going to hopefully enable a more state-of-the-art technology system. Like you would interact with your bank or financial institution where you can get somebody on the phone and you can do things, you know, with chat bots and things like that and, and get a more, you know, state-of-the-art program. Um, so, yeah, and then you've got infrastructure. You've got the master file system that houses individual tax returns that dates back to the 1960s, that hardly right. anybody understands the computer programming. So a tremendous amount of work, not only hiring individuals, but the infrastructure, like you mentioned, has to be a lot of work and many years that are going to go into kind of rebuilding these systems. So that's a great point. You know, um, on, on the facts regarding the IRS criminal division, uh, unfortunately, many of those that are providing disinformation, and I would argue, I'm arguing intentionally, unfortunately, have talked about the arming of IRS agents. But the facts are that there have been armed agents since the very beginning. Talk a little bit about that history, because it's essential that the criminal division agents, not everybody in the criminal division, I understand, but th those that are you know, in certain categories, you know that better than I, that they are, uh, they do, uh, are, are carrying weapons, they're trained and all that, but that's been the case for decades. Yeah, many decades. I mean, the agency, IRS criminal investigations been um, in existence for over a hundred years now. And it is an interesting organization in the federal government because you do have this largely civil organization of about 80,000 employees. And inside that, you have the criminal division, which is about 3,000 employees that has a law enforcement mission. And of that, there's about 2,000 sworn law enforcement officers. Um, it is st still now, even with you know, not tremendous funding, the sixth largest law enforcement agency in the US. They're the only agency that's authorized to investigate and recommend prosecution on federal tax crimes. Nobody else can do that. They're also the only agency that spends 100% of their time investigating financial crimes. 
and very broad jurisdiction. So when you think about economic and financial crimes that are committed in the U.S. at the federal level, you know, they all involve a financial motive. So if it's a tax-related crime, there's always going to be an IRS special agent involved investigating that crime. If you look at another high-profile, you know, financial crime, a good example is um, the Varsity Blues college admission scandal. Right. Everybody has, you know, most everybody has heard of that. It's egregious conduct. And, and a lot of people think that's FBI, that's FBI. Well, that was a joint IRS FBI investigation. And it's the beauty of the, 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 the federal law enforcement system is you've got these large agencies that have complementary skills. And, you know, the skills of a financial investigator to follow the money, to trace the money, to hold people accountable, to confiscate the money if appropriate, is applicable in almost every federal case. So they're very well known um, and in very high demand in almost every type of a federal case. And again, of the, the massive IRS organization, there's only about 2,000 special agents. And to put it in perspective in terms of what 2,000 agents mean, in the mid two th in the mid 1990s, there were close to 3,400 special agents. So that gives you an idea. The staffing right now right. is about the same level it was in the 1970s. Yeah, and you and you just made the case that you work more. IRCI works more than just tax cases. I mean, you guys deal with you deal with cyber, you deal with money laundering, you do all sorts of financial crimes, and I don't think most of the public is aware of that. The, you know, the bread and butter, I, just, I mentioned being the only agency, it gives you a lot of responsibility. You have to be the, one, the agency that investigates and makes sure that people are held accountable for tax crimes. But with that, again, because the jurisdiction involves the federal money laundering laws and Bank Secrecy Act violations, it opens up the door to the ability for IRS special agents to investigate Essentially, what it winds up being is the most significant financial crime. So if you have a, you know, a smaller case in a judicial district, maybe you won't have an IRS special agent involved. Maybe the FBI or HSI agent, you know, is, you know, sufficiently trained to be able to handle that. But you have these multi-million dollar cases that have international components and have virtual assets and cryptocurrency and things like that. That's where the, the specialty, you know, the special training of an IRS special agent comes in to add to the, you know, the investigative team, which is in most cases, you know, spearheaded by an assistant United States attorney with the Department of Justice, and then one or more federal agencies that have, you know, skills in a certain area. And if you look at over the last several years, these, you know, some significant non-tax cases, when you think of IRS CI, you have to think of the cyber crimes and cryptocurrency cases. Right. They've just had tremendous success and it's not taking away from any other agency because it's been a great multi-agency effort, including international partners in the Department of Justice and private industry. But really in terms of the bread and butter financial investigating, it's been IRS special agents leading that. And we're talking about, you know, cases that have real life impact on people. It is, you know, back in 2019, I remember doing the press conference for a case called Welcome to Video, which was a child exploitation case. Um, many, many people were arrested in over 30 countries around the world. There were minors actively being abused at, at the time that the, the, 
case was taken down and it just shows you the breadth of the work that IRSCI does. So every, every dark web marketplace and major crypto case and hack starting back with Silk Road five plus years ago has involved an IRS special agent in most cases leading those investigations. So that's just one idea, you know, just gives, gives listeners one idea of the breadth of the work that they do. Yeah, and and you also are very proud of the uh, of the J five that I know uh, Jim Lee is now part of the international aspect. Talk a little bit about that. So the J five is a joint chiefs of of global tax enforcement. It's something that I helped set up when I was uh, the chief of IRS criminal investigation, and it is essentially the the chief of IRS criminal investigation, and then the counterparts from. Uh, Canada, Australia, the Netherlands, um, and the United Kingdom. So, you know, five countries, relatively like-minded, you know, similar tax laws and and really similar threats to the tax system and financial ecosystem, really just kind of joining forces in a more informal network than what typically existed. And in, you know, a, a really short abbreviated version of of how standard international law enforcement relations work are agents from the various agencies that are assigned to an embassy and if somebody stateside needs you know information or evidence on a case they'll reach out formally to their attache or who's ever at their embassy and get that information it's a very formal process and can take a lot of time and as we know and as your listeners know um, we don't always have the benefit of time anymore when we're conducting financial investigations. When, you know, with digital assets and cryptocurrency, as soon as you can take out your phone and as quick as you can type in your password, you can move money around the world. Right. And that was really one of the impetus to setting up a group like this was to have the, you know, the boots on the ground agents and analysts in the various countries working closely together to, you know, to, to legally and lawfully share information and leads and training, you know, to make an impact on cases. And it's, you know, it's been fun for me to see since I've left um, and Jim has really taken over and embraced that role. And they've now had a number of operational successes in, in these international cases. Yes, and I think people should uh, take a look at the IRS uh, website and the information on IRSCI. Um, Want to shift shift a little bit here. Um, the other thing that these policymakers and I sigh when I call them policymakers because <laughs> they're anti-policymakers in my my opinion. Um, they talk about audits. They said, "Oh, this is just going to increase audits on on uh, small business people and others," but the facts are are much different. What I was seeing, I actually saw some charts about this this morning, actually, as we're recording this, they said in 2010, a taxpayer with income above 10 million a year had more than a 20% chance of being audited in any given year. So in 2010, by 2019, that probability has fallen to less than 4%. And so putting it another way, in 2012, there were 41,000 audits of taxpayers that reported income above a million. 2021, there were 14,000, even though many more Americans earn more than a million a year, which which leads us to the all misreporting, right? So you right. can talk about tax evasion, you can talk about mistakes, but the reason you need a robust IRS is to obviously process this information, but the, uh, uh, the act that was passed, uh, several studies have 
have uh, uh, said that they'll be able to recover over 10 years, close to 200 billion and maybe even more, right? And I think that's another reason why this was an important piece of legislation besides the fact that it's going to increase the resources of the agency. Um, but I think that the other part of this is that misreporting, however you want to characterize it, whether you know good lawyers and accountants, good is in quotes, or it's because people have intentionally avoided reporting, um, that's those same uh, studies have found that a filer with more than 10 million misreports probably 14% of the income, which that's about a, a 1.4 million, whereas those between 200,000, 500,000, uh, about a minimum of 9,000. So talk a bit about that part. I know it's not necessarily criminal to misreport. It could be a, obviously a legitimate mistake, but that's another reason to fund the IRS, right? It is. And there's a lot of, you know, there's lots of ways you can slice and dice those numbers. And I've seen some of that analysis and the return on investment. And really to me, I, so I can assure you, I never worked on the, the civil side of the IRS, right. but on the criminal side of the IRS, you know, the same type of protocol stands that there's constant and continual work around selecting the right cases, not wasting valuable government resources on auditing or investigating somebody that has done nothing wrong, right? That's a waste of an auditor's resource to go audit somebody that reported everything properly. So a lot of it has to do with, again, we get back to you know discussions about technology. The IRS has very outdated technology. They need to update the technology and the infrastructure and use different, you know, the smart people that they have, but also analytical tools to try to analyze tax returns and information filings to figure out where the best bang for your buck is. And the reality is, regardless of, of income level, a lot of it comes down to what the IRS would, you know, routinely terms visibility and transparency. And the best way to, to explain that is if you're a W-2 wage earner and you have some income and dividends and maybe a mortgage and a, a few other reportable things, all of that information every year is reported to the IRS. It is then matched up once you file your tax return. If you leave something off or like you said, John, if you leave, a, say you you get the number wrong by $100. Right. You will hear from the IRS, I can guarantee you. It may not be the next day, it may be a year from now, but you will. it will be matched up. The level of compliance when all of your information is reported to the IRS is extremely high, north of 95%. But as you move down the spectrum to less information reporting, if you're a Schedule C proprietor that receives personal checks and you receive cash and maybe you have crypto payments, and then you have expenses on your Schedule C, the level of compliance goes down considerably just because there isn't that transparency and there's not that reporting to the government. So again, it's interesting, lots of different ways to look at it, but that's one of the ways the government, you know, and the IRS certainly looks at it is, you know, where are there gaps in the information reporting? Where's the bulk of the tax gap? And what's the best bang for our buck in terms of selecting somebody for an audit or an investigation? All right. Uh, let me get you out of here on this. Um, you've you alluded to it at the front end of this, but given the outrageous comments about weaponized uh, IRS agents and audits and all those sorts of things, what is this? What's the real life impact to the, the men and women of IRS and IRSCI 
specifically on these type of comments. Obviously, you've interacted with your, your colleagues. You folks have talked about this for the past couple of weeks and probably longer. Talk to us about, again, these are not simply just human beings. These are um, public servants that, that do the work that's so important, as you say, to bolster the economy, to protect national security and all the things that IRS does in one fashion or another. What, what's it like on a day-to-day -day basis for, for those folks? It's, it's gotta be disheartening to some degree. It's very disheartening and, and sad, even for me two years later to, to see that, see the reporting on the IRS CI side, again, it takes them away from, you know, they, they're having to respond to these allegations instead of being out there conducting investigations and, you know, spending time putting people in jail that stole, you know, the, the EIP payments and pay, paycheck protection right. payments, you know, it's taking them off their game. So to a certain extent, again, there's the human aspect. These are highly trained professional people that have, you know, in many cases served their entire working careers working for the government because it's such a noble mission. What I worry about more, you know, in that segment of the population, the special agents that are out interacting with the public are trained in use of force and firearms if, God forbid, something were to ever happen. Right. What I worry about more is the other IRS professionals. The bulk of tax administration is not criminal. It is, you know, the people answering the phones. It's revenue agents out conducting audits. It's revenue officers out collecting funds, you know, that, that have been assessed and are due to the government and the IRS. They're not armed. And now they're running into situations, potentially, it was already a challenging job to begin with. You know, these are not the most loved, unfortunately, civil servants that are out there because of the challenging job that they have. Right. And now you've got these statements out there about, you know, armed agents, every IRS agent is armed and they have AK-47s and AR-15s and they're coming after you. So think about that. You've got a, you've got a revenue officer approaching a business and an individual that maybe not having the best day um, and knows that they have tax due and owing and you've got elected officials out there, you know, spreading this misinformation that the IRS agents are armed and they're coming after you. You've got a recipe for disaster, in my opinion. You know, it's 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 again, it's both heartbreaking and disgusting. And we in the AML community need to do our part to let everybody know that uh, you now, but even and then as well, uh, are partners uh, with with us in the public in the private sector and our public sector partners. We just need to support them in everything they do. So we'll continue to do that, I urge people uh, that are listening, go on the website and look at what the IRS does do. Uh, you got a lot of good information from Don already. And make sure when you're at a barbecue in your neighborhoods, if somebody starts spouting off the nonsense they've heard from a, a website or unfortunately from an elected official that you counter with facts. And we can only try to do that. And I, and Don, we'll, we'll continue to to push that, but I really appreciate the time. Don Ford is with Castellanos and Fink, great tax firm uh, in, uh, in DC and around the country. They do a lot of work everywhere. Uh, so uh, look them up as well, but obviously strong support for your uh, successor, Jim Lee and all the folks at, at IRS and IRSCI specifically. But as you just pointed out, 
day-to-day IRS staff is they're equally in danger given all of this as the CIA, CIA agent. So Don, thanks. Thanks so much for what you do and we'll continue to get the word out. Yeah, John, I appreciate the time and this important topic. And I know, you know, on behalf of the, uh, the men and women of the IRS, they appreciate the support of, uh, of you and, and everybody in the private sector. So yes, you're right. The truth will prevail and, and appreciate, I know they appreciate any support you can, you can lend to shine a light on this. Thanks again, John. All right, Don Ford, take care of yourself. Stay safe. You too. Take care, John. Thanks for listening to another episode of AML Conversations brought to you by AML RightSource. To make sure you're staying up to date with what's going on in the industry, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to get the latest episode.